Hello, Metro Augusta. Hello, Georgia. And hello, wherever you are. This is Janice Allen Jackson welcoming you to the August 30th edition of Local Matters, a show designed to make you a more confident voter and a more engaged citizen. As always, today's show is brought to you as a service of my consulting firm, Janice Allen Jackson and Associates, where we proudly provide services to local government and nonprofit organizations. If you haven't already, please follow us on Facebook. That's the Local Matters Podcast of Georgia. And as well, please subscribe on YouTube. Local Matters family, today we are joined by someone who comes all the way from Phoenix, Arizona. And yeah, they have local government issues there too. So uh, he is all the way from Arizona and he's going to talk to us about something that is unique. Um, and it is hopefully the wave of the future. Uh, so we're going to talk about uh, that with Mr. Jacob Taylor. How are you doing today, Jake? Hey, doing good, Janice. Such a pleasure. Such a pleasure to meet you. Um, it is our tradition, as you know, on Local Matters that we get started with our guests just introducing themselves to the audience. So if you could tell us what you're doing now, uh, how you got to where you are, uh, and then we'll get uh, more into detail about the actual work of your you and your organization. Sure, absolutely. And that's kind of a fun story, too. It explains why I'm doing what I'm doing. Uh, but again, hi, I'm Jake Taylor. Um, I actually recently completed a National Science Foundation fellowship in smart cities and smart living. Um, an interesting thing about me, though, that led to where I am today is my background's in game design. So I worked with games, bringing people from point A to B, and then I segued into this world of smart cities. Uh, what we do now at The Connective is I'm a human-centered design specialist. Uh, the Connective is Greater Phoenix's smart region collaborative. We convene city and industry leaders in distributively addressing and implementing technologies, specifically for the betterment of a unified region. And my role in that, of course, is to think of exactly how we as humans interact with our built environment, with our policy, with our technology. Excellent. Now, you said you have a degree in gaming? So my degree was paid through blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> I did a background in business, and then I went and did the Smart City Fellowship. But for 10 years, I, I made Nintendo games. Okay, cool, Bing. So what's more fun, making Nintendo games or working with cities to help them collaborate? Well, I'm going to tell you the secret, Janice, because that's why I got into this. So everyone's probably heard of SimCity, right? And when we get into the world of smart cities, is that that kind of becomes a reality, right? When you start looking at technologies like digital twins, which is something that we might bring up here a little bit later, is we're at the point where we have these 3D renderings of our actual cities, and, and we're, we're playing with these things almost as if it were a game. Um, I would have to say it's a good even split, though. I, I really like taking people on a journey. That's my background in design. And now I get to do that with, with people in their everyday environment. We don't need to escape to a game to make it a great day anymore. We can do that where you live and stay. Okay, excellent. I've been telling people that local government was fun for years. So thanks yes. for coming there for me. <laughs> and welcome to the Local Matters family. Um, what we do here on Local Matters is obviously we talk about local government. Sometimes we're talking about civic engagement and voting. Sometimes we talk about ways to create better uh, cities and uh, better ways to provide services. And from what I understand about your organization, you're at a really unique point where you're at the cross between technology uh, providing people-centered services, as well as 
collaboration of governmental entities. And we yes. know collaboration historically in some contexts has been very hard to come by. You know, local government in cities, counties, regions, there often is a lot of infighting, um, but seems like you all out there have come up with a way maybe to combat some of that. So can you talk about the methods that you used to, to bring those entities together? Sure, absolutely. And I, what I find that we do here in the Phoenix area really is unique. You know, I've had the opportunity to travel around quite a bit. And I, I grew up here. I'm a Phoenix native. So I always thought this was the norm. And then you drive out to another part of town and, and you don't you don't see this. Right. So I think what we learned in the last 10, 20 years, it, I would say going back to 2008, right, when we had the big the, the recession, you know, we realized that, OK, it's not it's not about my city versus your city. Right. We are a region. Right. The people that live here don't live, work and play in one city. We're connected. You know, we're, we're almost 30 different towns and cities that share boundaries with each other. So you likely work in one and play in another and go to a baseball game in a third and shop in a fourth. Your daily life goes across all of these different boundaries. But when it comes to the municipal world, it really often ends at these dotted lines. So you might have one city that comes up with this phenomenal service. And it's wonderful for the people that live there. And you have a neighborhood and that city line goes right down the middle of it. So half the neighborhood has it, half of it doesn't. And that's asinine. That's ridiculous. So what we really did, or what we do, is we come in and we work with city and te industry technology leaders in how can we take these innovations, these entrepreneurships from the city and translate them across city boundaries. Because not all the cities here are the same size. You have Phoenix, which is 1.5 million. And then you have right next to it in the small town of Guadalupe, maybe 15,000. Then you have Mesa, 500,000. But you have Buckeye, 20,000. Very wide ranging sizes. And I think what you see in a lot of metropolises is that, that high technology really stays at the center and doesn't always bleed its way out. And we know that smaller towns don't always have the resources to compete, especially now. Right. I think the conversation 10 years ago was what okay, AI is a big high tech thing or metaverse is what Mark Zuckerberg is doing. But all of these things are now here. They've reached local government. They're going to affect what we do from day to day. Right. We see in Seoul, South Korea, they're already using metaverse to interact with their councilmen. They attend these digital city councils. If you go over to Singapore again as well, you're using Bitcoin to pay for municipal services. These are technologies that are no longer out in the Ethereum. They're affecting us. And we have the opportunity now to say, okay, how do we as a citizenry want to interact with these? So that is awesome. You made some observations as you start thinking about virtual council meetings and stuff. I don't know what happened to other states, but in the state of Georgia, that got to be a massive issue in relationship to the Open Meetings Act and what that really means. Um, you know, if you look at some simple things like advertising your tax rate, you know, what used to be that had to be in a published document. Well, now most newspapers aren't in print anymore you know many of them aren't in print anymore they're the only way to do it in something in your local area may be to place it online but the laws haven't necessarily caught up to that so okay. <laughs> so have you seen some disconnects between what the law says and this whole idea of connectivity particularly across city and county lines 
That's a really great question. And I would say that the answer is yes. I don't have a tremendous number of ready examples, but I'll, I'll give one that came up recently, which is you know, the rise of artificial intelligence. Right, the power of any one individual is exacerbated by tenfold, and and the way we do business in a city is, is just not at that level. You know, where we're having to address these things now and see how we're going to handle it. You know, one actually does come to mind though, because this is not going to sound maybe that high tech, but recycling. You know, in the last couple of years since COVID, we know that a lot of municipalities stopped recycling. You know, it was actually just getting taken to the landfill. Uh, that is obviously inconsistent with, with everyone that's paying for a blue barrel or for a recycling service. And now we're looking at how we can can address that. So in one town, for example, we have a pilot going on where we are doing a circular economy, right? All of your plastics are ground and, and reprinted into product right in front of you. You get to see that live and we're hoping to distribute that and, and help adjust a few of these gaps, as you mentioned, between how we think these are and, and how they go. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And let's talk some more about your job, human-centered, human-centered design. Yeah. You know, I love it when local governments respond to the human because that's what <laughs> we're here for. It's a good start, right? <laughs> and, and sometimes, you know, that is forgotten. I'm honest about that. Sometimes, you know, I, I can recall being in settings where you can sit through staff meetings sometimes even meetings of the elected bodies. And you don't hear one single reference to the resident, the taxpayer, the human, uh, and how those needs are being met. So please tell me what it means to be a human-centered design specialist. See, now you hit on the area where I'm like the most excited. So I might get a little giddy and, and start, you know, going into some weird stuff here, but uh, and that's the reason I brought up the game background. That, that's exactly where it comes from. So, right, when you're making a game, your entire job, you know, if you're the player, Janice, is I need to take you from your starting point to an ending point, oftentimes without you not necessarily knowing, right? But 100% of that is about, okay, what, what do you care about? Nothing else matters if you're not enjoying yourself. And that's that principle has been so interesting for me to carry over here because, as you just said, we do tend to forget about it. When you go into a council meeting sometimes or and I'm not going to pick on anyone, but it, it's very easy to start thinking about the process. It's very easy to start thinking about the built environment, the businesses, the economic development. And I think there's no greater indication of this than, let's say, roadways. I mean, right. How often do we talk about the pedestrians? Where's the bike path? Where's the walk path? Where is the person in this equation? And so what I really do and I'll bring up one very good example of where my passion for this came from is I started during this fellowship to research citizen engagement. And when I started to work with the cities, because my, my job was I had to do a research project, but I didn't want to just pick something out of the ether. I wanted to work with an actual issue. And so I approached our MPO, I approached, approached a few cities, and I started to get an idea of what was actually going on in the community that we could work on. And when I brought up citizen engagement, the response is always, yes, how can I get information to the citizen? How can I inform them of what's going on? And in my mind, as someone that doesn't come from a local government background, that's not really what I picture as citizen engagement. Civic engagement is me as a person interacting with the city. But these conversations were always one directional. It was how do we as a city transmit information to you? And it stopped. There was no, there was no feedback loop coming back the other direction. And then what ended up happening is we were working with an entity 
Um, and I asked them, like, what are your most pressing issues? And she said, civic engagement. Well, why? Because we go through and behind closed doors, we come up with solutions to affordable housing, to unhoused population, to energy crisis, you know, name it. Phoenix, everyone knows we're having, you know, massive heat, it's an astonishing 110 degrees every day over here, right? So heat related incidents, how do we address these things? So they come up with a solution, they talk to a few people, they, they get feedback on it, and everyone says, yeah, awesome, go. You put it on the ballot, it gets voted no by like 97%. Well, why? Because the 10 or 15 people that you talk to is not representative of, of the entire society. And we really, frankly, suck at that. <laughs> we don't co-design together. And that's what human design is. It's something that's come from the private sector for a long time where, okay, I'm not just going to come up with a product, throw it on the shelf and pray to God Almighty that it sells. No, I'm going to go to you. I'm going to say, hey, Janice, what are you interested in? What do you want? from this toothbrush or whatever it is. And now we're doing that as cities. We're not going behind closed council doors and coming up with decisions for you. We're going to you and saying, okay, AI is here. Janice, what do you want that to look like in your day-to-day -day life with the city? How do you want to interact with a digital twin or data or, oh, data policy is a great one. How do you want your data to be handled? I'm not gonna go pick that for you. I think it's very easy to forget that when we're elected or when we get a position in a city, our job is to represent people, not make their decisions for them. That is such an astute observation. And, you know, I've been in local government probably longer than you've been alive. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I'm I'm glad for it and all the wisdom that comes along with it. But in the early days, the expectation for information from the public was not nearly as great as it is today. Oh, yeah. um, there was some degree, I think, based upon trust, that they just trusted the elected officials and the staff to provide good services to them. Um, but over time, of course, that trust has eroded for reasons that I think many of us would readily understand. So we went from um, not getting a lot of, giving out a lot of information to the communication being one way and us thinking that we did a great job if we set up a good website where people could get a little information. And then it evolved to uh, the need for two-way communication, which is where you're going. Um, it shouldn't just be us telling you what we're doing for you. It yes. should also be us asking you what your needs and expectations are. That's exactly right. That's yeah. Exactly. Right. So we have evolved even in the, you know, 30 plus years that I've been around local government. I think my first local government job was in 1989. So in that 34 years, uh, we have evolved to that point. And of course, now the technology obviously has evolved that should make it easier for us to have this two-way communication. Um, but sometimes it is it works effectively and sometimes it, it doesn't. So what do you see sort of as that, that key to effective citizen engagement that your uh, the connective uh, as part of your work has been able to accomplish? Well, that's a great question. And it really is. I'm going to stew on that one for a little bit while I while I mention a few things. And that's a project that we're undergoing right now. 
I mean, right the second we have a collaboration with Amazon Web Services, actually. So here in, well, they have several, but one of their cloud innovation centers is here in Phoenix, and we're working with them with a three-city partnership. So Mesa, Gilbert, and Chandler. And we've all brought this question of, okay, why aren't we engaging? Why aren't citizens engaging? And it, the reason I brought in three cities is because our communities are different. And it's already manifests itself, right? In one city, we have a large population where English isn't their first language. And they come from a background where they don't trust government. And frankly, none of us blame them. <laughs> then you come to another area where they have an incredibly high engagement. The problem is when they want to build something or, or effective policy, half say yes, half say no. So, okay, how, how do you develop consensus? And then we had a third that was so excited. They had tripled the level of engagement in their city. And the number was still less than 1% of the total population. So we, we know that we just don't have a lot going on. We're, we're looking into that now. And citizen engagement is a conversation that's been going on for centuries. Let's be honest. Like, this is something that we will continuously struggle with. But I think you really already hit the main key is the way we interact with people changes so regularly. Even in the background, I see LinkedIn, I see SoundCloud, and I see a Twitter. Mm -hmm. And we know that some people use Twitter, some don't or X, whatever you want to call it. Oh, yeah, that's right. I guess I'm outdated now. You're right. <laughs> this has now become X. Right. <laughs> and if you look at kind of the, the original method, town hall or something like that, I mean, look at city of Phoenix, 1.5 million people. Where are you going to get them all in the same room? Well, you're, you're not. Not only is it physically impossible, but our schedules nowadays, we don't all have the same liberty to be at just one meeting whenever it's called. So we want to look and see, okay, what is available to us? And it's not going to be any single solution. And this is a great, great segue back to your previous question. What is human-centered design? I think we really take for granted who has a smartphone and who doesn't. Because there is a huge number of our population that does not have access to a lot of this. So when we as a city come out and say, okay, you know, you can now tweet us or access, you can hit us on Facebook. What percentage of the population does that leave out? And it's not just those that don't have access to the hardware, it's who isn't familiar enough to use it, right? So right now we have a project going where we know telehealth has become more prominent. Okay, well, they may have access to computer, but they don't know how to do it. So we're creating centers where they can come and we can work with them and help them get through that process, right? This is, of course, we all know the digital divide, but that human-centered design, again, is, is doing this from doing it in place, I think too often we try and tell people to come to the city, but it's time that the city needs to go to them. I think that's exactly right. And, and that's the expectation of people. You're right. We'll tell them, well, you know, if you want to uh, say something to us, show up during the public comment period on this zoning issue. Yep. It's for one hour, once a month. And if you don't show up too bad. Yep. That's it. That's it. Yeah, no, no no input. So you're right. This this idea of going out and as you were talking about a city the size of Phoenix with over one and a half million residents, um, you know, sometimes council members will have, you know, town hall meetings and with different neighborhood associations and things like that to try to get input. But chances are you're still only touching a small fraction of your population when you do that. So as you think about ways to get more effectively get input, and then we get into the squeaky wheel theory. I got to mention squeaky wheel theory oh, yeah. think a little bit more <laughs> about some of the, the more effective means of getting broad-based feedback. Um, 
squeaky wheel. You'll have some people that have the time and the inclination to show up at every public hearing or every council meeting. They've got their council member or the city manager or county manager or mayor or commission chairman. They got them on speed dial and they'll call them up or fire off an email every time there's an issue. And it's easy for us to start thinking that that person really is representing the whole of the community when chances are the majority of people don't think anything like that one person has time to show up at all those meetings. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And I, I have a bit of a crude example that I like to use sometimes, but I remember my, my closest experience to, to actual government was a student government position. And we would post things, we would post information. We wanted to have these town halls with everyone. And one of our individuals would, would post just this tiny little message in a blog and be like, well, I, I, I sent it out. You know, if they didn't come, that's their problem. And I would say, hey, you can't put a sticky note on a bathroom stall and expect everyone to see it. <laughs> like, right. It's right. insufficient. So we, we don't have the opus of responsibility to make sure that we're going out and representing people. Okay. And are there particular methods that you all have been able to employ to more effectively get out there to reach them where they are instead of them having to come to the city or county government? Yeah, well, that's another good question because our work ends with the, the CIO CTO level, CTO level, right? So we, we work on prototyping solutions with them and we do have some fantastic examples that have gone forward. And I'll touch on that briefly. And then I want to circle it back to kind of what we really do at the Connective Center itself. Sure. We did have one city that just nailed it. They blew it out of the park. They had a, a corridor, an area that was infamously known as being anti-development. When someone would come in and they would want to build a new building or, or restructure something, it was constantly struck down. And everyone just thought, okay, hey, they, they just don't like change. And that wasn't the case. They, they implemented a strategy where they went out and a lot of it was door to door. A lot of it was at the grocery store. Again, where are the people? Go to them. And they got the consensus. It wasn't that they were anti-development. It's that they felt that our community has a culture. So if you're going to come and build something, we want it to fit with our culture. And all the ideas that the city had been throwing at them were new and modern and high tech and all this stuff. And like, that just doesn't fit with who we are. Right? It'd be like San Francisco coming to a small town in Georgia and saying, OK, we're going to make you look like us. No, we, we, don't, we don't want that. And they really excelled at that. So now our role at the connective is, hey, you did this great. We're going to copy that and we're going to take it to everywhere else in the city, right? You're a town of maybe 400,000. Let's get this in the hands of the other 5 million. Excellent. Excellent. So that whole idea of collaboration many times is based on being able to share information and replicate success. It is. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. I want to throw in an extra point too, because again, at the very beginning, I think we said this isn't something you see very often. You know, when, when, when you travel, I, I think a lot of cities really get pitted in this competition. I figured it out. So I'm going to keep doing it. So we're a great city and your people come here. Mm -hmm. and that, we just can't do that anymore. Yeah. And, and that's it. I mean, some people do not desire the whole idea of regional collaboration. It's like, why would I do that? You know, yeah. and then there's a suspicion of it. Or are they going to take something from us? Or, you know, exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> I worked hard for this. I want the recognition. You know, you you can figure it out. No, you know, we, we have what we call wicked problems, things that are just too big for any one city. And we really need to start doing this hand in hand. Okay. And as you talk about that work um, that you all are doing, very important work, who pays for the work? Good question again as well. So um, 
we have a very different model. There's a lot of technology councils around the country where um, an economic development side or governor's office or something like that will work with industry partners on technology decisions, but who typically pays in those situations is the industry. Now we came in and we did the opposite. We represent the cities that are our members. And it's sometimes hard to go and ask for money from a lot of small cities, but what we do is they're our interest. Okay, if you come to us with this great product, whatever it is, that's great. If it doesn't fit with our membership, if it's not the right product for our cities, doesn't matter. And that's really important because when you look at the history of smart cities, you know, the last 20, 30 years, 1990s, if you will, it was the opposite. It was these big companies coming in and saying, hey, here's this product, buy it. It's going to make everyone's life better. But it was a one size fits all model. And that didn't always work. And so it was very necessary that we turned around and said, okay, great, but you need to co-create this with us. Our people, our community has different needs. And that's who we represent. Excellent. And how uh, long has this been in place in the Phoenix area? This started right before COVID. In fact, it was probably getting set up while you were here, Janice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, y'all story. We talked about it before we came on the air. When the pandemic hit, I was actually in Phoenix. I was there. Uh, my son was at a conference. We figured we'd go out there and hang out with him for a while. Uh, and then uh, all of a sudden you start hearing about this thing called the pandemic and COVID-19. And next thing you know, everything was shut down. His conference was cut short and we were scrambling around trying to get some flights back to Augusta pretty quickly. So, and then we got here and found out there was no grocery left. So, oh. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I, I was probably there when you all got started. Well, well, while you were here, we felt that greatness. We felt those great ideas and we decided to put this into play. Uh, things really got on hold. Right. Pandemic shut down quite a bit. And I would say that we're really we're really just now getting our stride back. Uh, in the last year, we've started major initiatives and we have projects going with with quite a few cities that we represent and more to come. So we're, the ball is finally moving and the excitement is there again. Uh, we're having our large regional event here coming up beginning of next year. And, and what makes that so unique is it's not just a conference. It's I like to call it the Justice League, right? The cities are coming together and they're deciding together, okay, who's going to tackle what problem and how can we come together and disseminate that? And it's just such an amazing thing. And that really does sound amazing. So as you talk about how well this is working in that region, is the concept to take it to other regions eventually? I have no idea. What's the big picture idea of how this um, maybe can be replicated in other locations? Great question. And uh, the easy answer for that is what we mentioned earlier, which is we're 100% collaboration driven. You know, we don't we don't think that we're necessarily going to grow to represent more than Greater Phoenix, right? That that's our constituency. But we do work with other smart consortiums around the the world, actually. Uh, so I think earlier we were mentioning a few. We we work with the um, a smart coalition in Illinois, Florida, Dallas, Fort Worth. But we also talk with Trollhattan, Sweden. We also talk with Sydney, Australia. And it's all about who's doing what and what works and, and sharing that. So I, I think we'll always be really rooted here in home, um, but that doesn't mean we don't have a global reach. Uh, but what we're doing is we're sharing. Excellent. Excellent. You mentioned something that I can't let us get off this um, interview without mentioning, and that is AI. 
artificial intelligence. Should we be afraid of this? Well, that's that's a loaded question. <laughs> so we really should be afraid. I haven't made up my mind. I, in fact, I have a previous guest, and he's a friend of mine, um, who really uh, wrote his dissertation on uh, automation, and oh, yeah. um, he has been going to bring him up. Yeah, he goes out and speaks everywhere in the country nowadays about the impact of AI automation, how it's going to change the workforce, you know, not only from him, but from others. You know, I keep hearing this term, you know, we're going to have some humans that basically we don't have any use for because there won't be a need for people, as, as many people as, as there are now. So what do you think about that? I do have a great response to that, Janice. And it's funny because I listened to that podcast yesterday. I got to, oh, I watched it on YouTube actually. <laughs> and you said something really great too, which I'll, I'll start with and then I'll lead into um, a really passionate thought that I have about that, which is you should use it as a tool, right? It's not meant to be a replacement. It's supposed to be, it's supposed to be an accompaniment. But what I also think is that we often think that where we are right now is the pinnacle of society. Right. That there's, there's nothing else that we can do. So if we come in and we automate something or if artificial intelligence takes a role, whatever it may be, what is there left to do? And the answer is there's a lot. Right. So I think you use the example of a grocery store in that one. And I was thinking about that. What if what if that checkout process and other processes such as stocking shelves was automated and you kept the humans to simply make sure everyone was having a good day? if you employed them strictly for customer service, because again, there is plenty to do. There are plenty of people to uplift. There are plenty of people to help. And what we're doing and what I think we have the potential to do is these technologies can take a lot of that mundane stuff, if you will, uh, whatever it may be, but we need to re-employ these individuals on the next big task. The next big task, whatever that may be, there's a lot of work that still needs to be done. There's a lot of people that still need help. And I see it as a methodology by which we can enable ourselves to go and focus on those bigger tasks. Excellent. Excellent response. We just, this has been a delightful interview. Um, in case you all, Jake and I just met a couple of minutes before we start recording this. But as you can tell, we've had a good time speaking with each other. Uh, is there anything else in the last few minutes that you want to share with our Local Matters family? I think we already hit on it somewhat, but I really do want to stress two things, which are more or less the same from different angles, which is we, we tend to compete. And the reality is that's not an option anymore. With all of the crises and the situations that we face, we have no alternative to simply come together and collaborate. And what that means at a citizen level as well is that your civic leaders, your city leaders want to hear from you. They want to know how they should take these new big game-changing technologies and use them for your good. It is imperative that we connect the connective, that we connect together and have that conversation. Excellent, excellent. Thank you so much for you, your, your, your work. Uh, I think it is truly transformative to work. Uh, thank you for your interest in appearing on Local Matters. And of course, now you are part of the family. So Absolutely. Family. We applaud what you do, Jan. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you. I close with my favorite Bible verse, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. 
For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This show is designed to contribute to each of those, giving you the power that comes with knowledge, demonstrating love for your local community, and offering you wisdom for decision-making so that you possess a sound mind when it comes to these topics. Please tune in next Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. or Thursday at 7 p.m. here on 103.7 FM or 1600 AM. Or please go to SoundCloud, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts at any time because local matters.